This morning, I get to continue a series that we've been in that we are calling The Struggle Is Real. The Struggle Is Real. And um, man, we've been spending time in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And uh, in that chapter, we are looking at the countercultural and the counterintuitive truth that, man, it, it's not if you are going to go through hardship, it's how you are going to walk through that hardship. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, there is this revolutionary truth that the struggle, the hardship, the difficulty isn't just real for all of us, but the struggle and the hardship and the difficulty is one of God's favorite ways to introduce his grace to us. It's one of his favorite ways to show off his power in our lives. Uh, this is the way Paul says it. 2 Corinthians Chapter 12, uh, starting at verse 7. He says, I was given a thorn in my flesh, uh, a painful hardship of a reality. A messenger from Satan to torment me. Three times, he says, I pleaded with the Lord to take it away. But he said to me, and this is what's crazy, I would do something better than take away your hardship. And in our culture, you can't say that. What could possibly be better than this hardship and this pain that I'm going through to be removed? And he says, I'll tell you what, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in Weakness. That is such a shift, but it's a shift that we're praying the Holy Spirit will help us to believe and to realize that wherever pain exists in your life, Paul says, oh, there must also be power present. Wherever hardship or struggle exists in your life, oh, you better look out because there is inevitably going to be grace in that space. Wherever brokenness lives, God is doing something immense. And what we want to talk about this morning is learning to look for it. Learning to look for it. Struggle and grace, pain and power. Paul says those two things are inseparable. They are close relatives. Wherever you find one, the other is going to be there because his power is made perfect in weakness. Grace is sufficient in struggle. Where one lives, the other is close by. Look for it. And when I think about the person in, in the Bible that most beautifully embodies this tension of grace and, 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 and struggle and pain and power um, outside of the person of Jesus, it's the Old Testament character um, Joseph. If you've been at Mission Point for a while, you're starting to learn, like, I think we know who some of your favorite characters are because you've subjected us to stories of them um, many times. And uh, one of those characters is definitely Joseph. I think outside of Jesus Christ, the godliest man in the Bible. Joseph. Joseph. But as we'll see, just because you're a godly man does not mean the struggle isn't real. We need to stop that as a church where if I had more faith, where if you were a better Christian, you wouldn't be going through this. Or you wouldn't be going through this as long as you've been going through this. Stop it. Just read the Bible 
and the stories of the characters we like to name our kids after. And we are going to find they walked through season after season of hardship. But in the midst of the hardship, power and grace were always present. Um, Joseph. So Joseph was um, the second youngest of 12 Brothers, the sons of Jacob, as in Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That um, Jacob. Um, from a very early age, one of the first things we learn about Joseph is that his brothers absolutely hated him. His ten older brothers despised the very air that he breathed. And so they made it their mission to make his life as miserable as possible. Man, they mocked him. They ridiculed him. They verbally abused him growing up. Um, His life was miserable. They excluded him from stuff. Now, the reason that they hated their brother was uh, on account of the fact that his father, Jacob, made no mystery of the fact that Joseph was his father favorite son. He was not subtle about that at all. On one occasion, he, he, he gifted Joseph with this beautifully elaborate coat and pretty much made Joseph try it on in front of his brothers. Doesn't he look good, boys? Well, quick, throw the wrappers away. Um, they, he just did not hide his favoritism for um, Joseph. And man, the absence of daddy's love that was given to Joseph instead made the brothers hate this boy. And one of the reasons that Jacob favored Joseph was because, man, Joseph was his long-awaited firstborn son from his favorite wife, Rachel. Um, Another reason the brothers hated Joseph was that early on in Joseph's life, God gave him a couple of very significant dreams in which God made known to him, one day in the future, I'm going to put you in a position of power. And your brothers and your dad are going to bow in your presence. And Joseph thought it was a good idea to share that with his siblings. And you can imagine how that went. They're like, oh, okay, really? So now you're telling us that not only are you dad's favorite, but you're God's favorite as well. Okay. And the bitterness deepened and deepened and deepened. Um, Joseph's upbringing was one of family abuse and dysfunction and hatred and loss. At some point early in his life, he lost his mother and murderous hate. His brothers wanted him dead. And if you don't believe me, uh, check this out. This is um, Genesis uh, chapter 37, verse 19. On one occasion, dad sends Joseph, hey, go check on your brothers. They're watching sheep some distance away from home. Take them some snacks. And when they see Joseph coming, this is what happens. Uh, verse number 19. Here comes the dreamer. They said to each other, come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these wells, these pits, um, these cisterns, and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. I'm just trying to tell you, Joseph's background, his family upbringing, was a picture of the struggle is real and ugly and messy at his home. 
for this godly man. And by the way, if this felt like a safe place and we had time and we had trust, I'm sure some of you would talk about the ways that you can relate all too closely to Joseph. Um, Memories of growing up are not fond, man. They are painful. Dad was always critical, and I could never live up to his impossible standards. My mom was constantly unavailable, very absent, focused on her priorities. My parents preferred the bottle over me. The struggle was real in my upbringing. And some of you would say, well, you had parents. I lost mine at an early age, much like Joseph. And I didn't have them around. And my upbringing was navigating the void of their absence. The struggle was real growing up. And some of you would say, not growing up. The struggle is real right now. Man, we may show up to church and we may put on this front and this veneer, but the reality is behind closed doors. Home is where the heart breaks. Home is where I go to be betrayed. Home is a place that is unsafe. And as a college student, I hear all of these kids talking about like, I can't wait to be home for fall break. And I'm like, can I please come with you? Because I want nothing to do with going back home into the messiness that awaits me there. For some of you, it's home is a lonely place. I miss having somebody to argue with, but there is no one there. I'm just saying if we had time and a little trust, we might tell stories of the ways that the struggle was real in our home. And for some of us, the struggle is still real. And Joseph would say, I, I can relate. Um, one of Joseph's brothers... Um, While Joseph is in a pit, they take him and they throw him in this pit while they're deliberating how to get away with murder. And one of his brothers says, ah, man, why not make some profit off this guy? We might as well make some cash. And they all think that's a good idea. So they pull Joseph out of the pit and they sell him as a piece of property to some um, passing merchants. Which is just crazy. I can't even imagine this. Joseph is getting pulled out of this pit. Maybe for a moment having a little bit of hope. My brothers have changed their minds. But nope. They hate him so much that they sell him into slavery. And he is tied up and dragged off by an animal like an animal. Carried off um, to Egypt. Um, where he ends up becoming a slave for a very powerful Egyptian man, the Egyptian chief of police, if you will, an individual by the name of Potiphar. And he ends up working on his estate for a little while. We don't know all of Joseph's different responsibilities while he was there, but the one thing we can be pretty sure of is he did not want to be there. This was not the dream. This was not what he wanted to do. This was not where he wanted to be. This kid wanted to be home. He was 17 years old. But yet here he is stuck as a slave. I'm just trying to tell you this godly man, the struggle was real. Here he is stuck in Egypt at Potiphar's house. Um, while he's there, 
he, uh, he, he does such a good job. He's so successful in this stuck place, in this season of slavery, that his boss, Potiphar, takes notice. And he actually promotes him and makes Joseph the second most powerful dude in his entire estate. Uh, he puts Joseph in charge of every other servant, puts Joseph in charge of everything he owns. Joseph, as a teenager, a high schooler, gets to speak on Potiphar's behalf. He gets promoted very, very quickly. Um, Gets to run everything. And it may be tempted to be like, oh man, things are starting to look up for Joseph. But as soon as it seems like there's a glimpse of a better season in the story, man, things come crashing down really, really fast. Um, uh, Joseph apparently wasn't just good at working. Um, He was apparently good to look at while he was working. And uh, someone took notice very, very quickly. In fact, check this out. This is what the Bible says. Uh, The Bible is just real. Uh, Chapter 38, I believe, verse 6, second part says, Now Joseph was well built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, go to bed with me. In fact, if you read this story, it says over and over again, she tried to persuade him, come to bed with me. This is in the Bible. So so this crazy cougar, right? She's obviously been skipping breakfast, the most important meal of the day. And so she's hungry. Everything looks like a snack. Uh, definitely. <laughs> All right, I'll stop. But um, man, she is just this walking thirst trap. She tries everything to get Joseph to come and sleep with her. And Joseph is like, yeah, just wait one psych. And he runs out of there and completely refuses her. She is so wounded by this rejection. She becomes angry and vindictive. And so she accuses Joseph of attempting to rape her. And when her husband comes home, that's the story that she tells him. When Potiphar hears what Joseph apparently did, he loses his mind and he drops the hammer. Um, This is uh, chapter 38, uh, verse 19. It says, when his master heard the story uh, that his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were can find. I'm just trying to show you for the godliest people in the Bible, the struggle was real. Tied up and dragged off against his will again. He spends at least two years stuck in the slammer for doing the right thing. We don't know how he spent his days. We don't know exactly what he did when he was in prison. But the one thing we can be pretty sure of, he did not want to be here. This was not the dream. This was not where he wanted to be. And yet here he is stuck. Struggle is real. 
And then if this felt like a little safe of a place and you had time and we had to trust, I'm sure we would share ways in which men may be not quite like Joseph. But if we were honest, we are in seasons where some of us like I can relate to that. I feel completely stuck like I'm in a season and in a place that I do not want to be. And if I could get out, y'all, I would get out, but it feels like my hands are tied. It feels like I'm stuck. I don't want to be here. I don't want to be doing this. And for some of you, you might say that I'm going to feel that tomorrow morning. That pit in my stomach as I'm driving to my job that I just feel stuck in. I don't want to do it. I don't want to be here. My boss is a jerk. My coworkers are drama all the time. But, man, I've got bills to pay and I've tried to get another job and it just doesn't seem to pan out. And if it does, it doesn't seem like I can make the same amount of money to provide for my family and to pay these bills. And so I'm just feeling stuck in this season right now. I don't want to be here right now. For some of you, it's in a relationship of some sort. And you're like, man, if they weren't my parents... And they didn't pay my bills and drive me to where I needed to go. I would be out of here. Matter of fact, you've said that a couple of times to them. I can't wait to get out of this stuck place. For some of you, you're like, high school graduation cannot come fast enough. Cannot come fast enough. I feel so stuck. I don't like it here. People are snooty. I'm not enjoying this season of life, Joseph. I feel you. For some of you, it's your health. You feel like you are stuck, sentenced in the body in which you live. You're like, I don't want to live in this thing. I'm just trying to get from here to there, and I can't do it. I can't do some of the things that the rest of you want to do. And everyone's talking about pickleball, and I can't play pickleball because I feel stuck in this broken body. I feel sentenced to this frame. For some of you, it's singleness. Like I feel like I've been sentenced to a season of singleness and these apps don't seem to be working. And apparently there's not lots of fish because I can't find any, right? And nothing is working out for me and it feels like I'm sentenced to this season and I am kind of stuck in it. For some of you, it's ministry. Like it's so hard and it's brutal and I don't like it. And God, if you didn't call me to this and would you please release me from this season of stuckness. And for some of us, it's in spaces that, man, we are here because of something someone falsely accused us of. And now you have to pay a bill. You have to pay a fine. You have to live with a situation that you didn't ask for and has been unjustly handed to you. I'm just telling you, and Joseph would say, I can relate. The struggle is real in spaces where it just feels like it's hardship and I'm stuck in it and I can't quite go anywhere At least not yet. While Joseph is stuck in the slammer, um, he is such a model inmate that the warden apparently makes him vice warden. Puts him in charge of every other inmate. Um, At one point, while Joseph is in um, prison, uh, he interprets a couple of dreams. There's a couple of guys in prison with him who worked directly for the king of Egypt, most powerful dude on the planet. They have some dreams. They can't understand them. Joseph interprets the dreams for them. Both of their dreams come true. For one of them, he gets restored and he goes back to work for the king. And Joseph just makes one simple request of him. God help me get out of here, man. Put in a good word for me. I do not belong here. 
When that guy gets back to the king, completely forgets about Joseph. Struggle is real. And for some of you, by the way, that's the feeling. I'm in a season of life where I feel completely unappreciated. Like, man, I do everything for everyone else. But the minute I need something, everyone seems to vanish and forget about me. Taking, taking, taking. But no one even asks me how I'm doing. It's that feeling of loneliness. A feeling of being used. Um, Joseph. I'm just trying to tell you. Struggle was real for him in almost every way you can imagine. From pain to the pit to Potiphar's house to prison. And now he's stuck in a slammer. That was Joseph's story. And that was a story of people who loved God in the Bible. Still experiencing seasons of hardship and Struggle, And by the way, for someone in this room, you just needed to know that. You are not alone. Nothing is weird or strange about you because you've continued to experience hardship and difficulty. Don't listen to the church folk who tell you like, no, life is supposed to be blessings and comfort and ease. And if you had a little more faith, there is nothing particularly wrong with your faith because you're going through seasons of hardship. Study the stories of the most faithful men and women in scripture and you see their seasons were marked with Hardship, And that was the case for Joseph. But man, if you like a fairy tale ending, here it goes. About 13 years of pits and prisons and slavery. 13 years this kid spent in a hard season after hard season after hard season. He finally ends up in the palace. He gets a fairy tale ending through a sequence of events. Um, the king of Egypt finds out about Joseph. He has some disturbing dreams. And the guy is like, oh, that's right. I remember somebody who can tell you what these dreams mean. Joseph interprets the dreams um, for the king. In which, by the way, he tells the king that your dream is telling you of a coming famine that's going to wipe out the entire population. Um, the king is so impressed with Joseph, he pulls him out of prison, puts him in the palace, and puts him in charge of the entire nation of Egypt. Are you seeing a theme? He's the second most powerful man in the world. This Jewish slave living in Egypt now, second most powerful dude on the planet. He's in the palace now. And from that position of influence, he puts together a plan that literally saves millions and millions of people from extinction on account of the famine that he interpreted in Pharaoh's dream. Joseph is in the palace now. He is living the dream, like literally living the dream. He's reunited with his brothers a number of years later. And when they walk into the room, those punk suckers, they hit the ground. And they kiss his Birkenstocks. Ooh. And I can imagine the author of, of the book saying, that's what came of his dreams. Y'all were wondering what would come. This is what happened. Joseph is in the palace in a position of power. That is such a great story. And 
We love that story because, man, if nothing else, it communicates to us that, man, after all of the pain and all of the struggle and all of the hardship and all of the pits and all of the prisons and all of the thorns in the flesh, we too will end up in our own palace. Except that's not what Joseph says. Except that's not the point. This blew my mind. Joseph has an opportunity to talk to his brothers about the season of hardship that he had walked through. And man, this is what Joseph says about it. The most famous words Joseph ever uttered. Genesis chapter 50 verse 20. We'll put this up on the screen. This is what Joseph says. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Preach, Joseph. What was intended to hurt me, God intended for good. Man, this now starts to sound like the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Come on. Satan intended this thorn to torment me. God intended it for his grace. What Satan hoped would break me, God intended for his power. Preach, Joseph. Look again, 2 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 8. In the midst of this thorn, Paul says, but he, God, said to me, my grace is sufficient for you in this struggle, in this pain, in this pit, in this prison. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Wow. Turns out it's not so much about getting to the palace as much as it is about getting to this perspective. It's about a perspective that when you are walking through the hell of a hardship, it's about perspective. And the perspective is the fact that there are always two intentions at play. When you are going through a difficult season, a pit, a palace, whatever it is, wherever pain might exist, in a prison, whatever, there are always two intentions at play. What the devil is trying to do and what God is working on. And how you walk through those seasons depends on which perspective you prioritize. When you're in pain, when you're in in a pit, you, you name it. There are always two realities. Satan's torment and God's grace. Your weakness and God's power. Their harm and God's good. Always two. And what Joseph and Paul learned is choosing the better perspective. Now Paul's not saying like I didn't struggle. He's not saying it wasn't hard. He's just saying I learned to see something else. In fact, I learned to see something better in the midst of 
the hardship, which is the only way Paul can end up saying, and so now I delight all the more in my weakness. What, you like it? No. But I found there is something else always hiding in the midst of it. Now, this is not Joseph saying like, man, it wasn't hard for 13 years. He's saying, I found that there were good things coming out of that manure of a season. It's not that it didn't stink. Let's stop talking like that, church. It's that I've just started to realize that where manure lives, that is the most fertile ground for the grace of God to emerge in ways that it's never emerged in any other place. Come on, this is the teaching of the Bible. Count it all joy when you've gotten through all the mess and things are easy. Nope. James says, count it all joy when you go through the trials. Why? Because something else is at work. Something better is happening in the midst of all of that. What? Joy in the middle of trial? And Jesus would say, yep. For the joy set before me, I endured the cross, scorning its shame. Both realities existed on the cross for him. I'm just telling you, there are two intentions in your pain. And you will always get to choose which one you focus on. There are two intentions and there will always be intention. Pulling you one way or the other. And Joseph says... There was yours intention and there was God's intention. Ask me which one I'm choosing. Paul says the devil tried to torment me. God was working grace and power. Ask me which one I've learned to focus in on. Man, how do we do that? How do we do that? A couple of things. Number one, I would say start saying it. Start saying it. Start being super defiant and making declarations in the middle of your most painful season. And some of y'all are in one of those seasons right now. Start making declarations to your hardship. Speak to the hardship. Tell it, God intends this for good. I don't know what her intention is. I don't know what their intention is. But God intends this for good. And you may have to say that through tears, but God intends this for good. Start speaking in those seasons. Speak about the second intention. Speak about the second reality that's always present there. Come on, speak about it. God's grace and favor meet me here. If there's weakness, there's pain, there's struggle, just declare it. God's favor, God's grace meet me. Here, God's life-giving power is working here. Start speaking to that weakness. God's power is here somewhere. And it's working. Make those declarations. And the second thing I'd say, start looking for it. Start looking for it. Come on. And can we start talking to each other that way? We will come, if you are going through a painful season, being mistreated, let us know. Again, I like to say there's some people at our church who are barely saved. They'll come to your house and do some things to help out, right? 
We want to know so we can be a part of God's delivery system. It's, it's a part of the reason we're helping to put uh, life pumps in the ground. We want to do everything that we can. Absolutely no question about that. But we want to get better at telling each other in hardship, hey, there's power here, look for it. There's grace here, don't miss that. Whatever you do, look for it. Look for his favor. Look for it. Look for his power. Look, it's here somewhere. Look for it. If there's pain, there's power here. Look for it. If there's a thorn in your life, there is grace somewhere. Look for it. It's there. And you know it's true because we saw it in the story. Do you remember where Joseph was? <laughs> when God spoke a dream into his of course you do. He was in the middle of a messy, broken, dysfunctional, jacked up family. And that's where God spoke a dream into his soul. About things he would do through him years and years later. I bet you if we got to sit down with Beatrice for too long, she would tell you when I was walking to get water, God was speaking things to me as a little girl. I can tell you as a boy growing up in Zambia, it's in the middle of the mess that God first dropped a dream about what he would do in the future. And I'm looking around and I'm thinking, with what? I'm talking to some of you students who are in very difficult spaces right now. Maybe at home, maybe on campus, maybe when you go to school, you are being mocked, you're being mistreated, you're being excluded. Just remember Joseph for a second and tell God, is there a dream for me here? I'm looking for it. Come on, speak a dream into my soul right now, God. We are open to it. We are looking for grace. We are looking for your favor. We know it's here somewhere. Start looking for it. He may get you out of high school, but don't get out of high school without getting all the grace that you can out of that season. Without running out with all of his power and all of his favor. Do you remember where Joseph was when he learned that he could interpret dreams? <laughs> That's like, what? I love it when Joseph is in Potiphar's house. I'm, I'm, I'm going to read you this section of scripture. I have to. Uh, Joseph was in Potiphar's house. In a season of stuckness. He didn't want to be there. He wanted to get out of there. But while he was there y'all. The favor of God was present. Alright. It says. Genesis 39 verse 2 says. The Lord was with Joseph in his stuckness. So that he prospered. In his stuckness. And he lived in the house of this, his Egyptian master. And when his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did. Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Ooh, Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. 
I'm just telling you, let your school be blessed because of you. Even though you don't want to be there, I'm going to keep reading. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So uh, Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food that he ate. Come on. If the struggle is there, if the stuckness is real... So is the favor of God. Look for it. And for some of you, there are people at that job that you hate going to. That the favor of God wants to make better through you. And while you're so busy focusing on the one reality. I don't want to be here. How can I get out of here as quickly as possible? The favor of God is behind you. Saying there are people I want to make better through you. This place should be better because you are here. I may get you out of here. But while you're here though, look for the favor that I'm dropping into your space and the ways I want to use you to make the world around you a little bit better. And then Joseph gets and starts interpreting dreams. In prison is where he learns it. And that dream becomes the means to which God saves an entire population. I'm just trying to tell you who are in a season where you feel stuck. Look for his favor. Look for his power. Oh man. Read stories. Daniel in the lion's den. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were thrown into an enclosed space. He loves stuck spaces. To show off his I'm just telling you, you are going to choose to focus on one reality or another. And while you're stuck, I'm not telling you don't get out, but I'm telling you power is breaking in. Look for it. Look for it. And I got to tell you this and then team, you guys can come on out. We're going to do one more song. And Anyway, listen. Uh, It was really interesting to me that at the end of the story, it didn't seem that it was ultimately about the palace we have made it about the palace we've made life about getting to a place of comfort and retirement where everything is easy and there's no hardship in my life not for Joseph it wasn't about the palace it was about a perspective and it wasn't about the palace turns out it was about a project I found that so striking Joseph, you're in the palace. Yeah, the palace is just a new platform. So that I can continue to do the things I did in the pit. And the things I did in the prison. And the things I did at Potiphar's house. The palace is actually just a means. Through which God is positioning me to help save the lives of many. Like wait, it's not about your comfort. It's not about your leisure. It's not about your ease. It's not about the fact that I'm not struggling anymore. No. No, it was actually about God putting me in a position where I can help the hurting and I can help the vulnerable and I can help those who are struggling. I love the story of Beatrice who was up here earlier, right? Like she's now the girl who was carrying water has now become the girl who is helping others experience clean water. All of this was happening so I can put you in a position to continue to carry out my power and to carry out my grace to other people. 
And I'm telling you, if we don't learn that in the pit, we don't learn that in the palace, and we learn that in Potiphar's place in the prison, we're never going to do it in the palace. The palace is going to be my ending for my comfort, and we'll forget that, no, it is still ultimately about God's good, the saving of many, many lives. I'm just asking you, what are you looking for? In your season of hardship. We will pray miracles that God gets you out. We will come take some people to jail. If people are hurting you. We will do all of those things. Let us know. But whatever you do. Do not miss what God is doing in that season. Take the right perspective. We'll grieve. We'll grieve with you. But we don't want to miss what God is doing in the midst of it all. So Father, we thank you for who you are. And we thank you for the ways that you show up in our brokenness. You show up in our stuck places. You show up in our prisons. You meet us there. And you may put us in places of power. And you may put us in a palace. But even in that, Lord, help us to continue to make it about what it's really about. Being agents of your grace. And being agents of your power in other people's weaknesses. Thank you. We pray for healing for those who are hurting right now. We pray, Lord, for perspective for all of us. We pray for those of us who may be in positions where we can do something like Joseph that we would. And we ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.